guys, as we jump into part four of For the Love of Our Children, again, I want to point your hearts and minds to the disclaimers I spelled out on part one. And again, if you haven't listened to that, I would highly recommend because it lays out the whole framework and some really important truths and um, concepts that we are dealing with throughout this part this series. So um, just real quick disclaimers. This is a Christian podcast. Unabashedly, we are coming from a Christian worldview, which means we put biblical truth first, and then we look at things through that lens. And then also, this is for what I call the 80 percenters, the families, the kids, the youth that will journey through this confusing time of identity, gender identity, and all that's coming at them, and just come to the other side of um, accepting and um, being at peace with who God made them to be. There is um, research shows, you know, around 20% of kids that really, really struggle have underlying issues and need uh, very compassionate, very personalized treatment. So this podcast series is not for them. Um, There are a lot of resources out there and and I pray that you find them. And I list resources in all the different show notes of our episodes. So without further ado, let's get started with today's episode. Hey, you guys, welcome back to another episode of Have You Not Heard? I am Angel H. Davis. I am your host and we are continuing on our series for the sake of our children. And today it's my pleasure to have our guest with us, Elizabeth, who is a teacher who works in a local public school and she deals with teens every day, all day long. So she's here to chat with us about what she's seen and wisdom that she may have from her years of experience. So let's just dive in and thanks Elizabeth for being with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Angel. Well, you're well. Yeah. So tell us um, just a little bit about your own personal faith, and then how does that inform your teaching? Um, I would say that when it comes to having my faith involved in teaching, I mean, being in the you know public sector, I'm not allowed to have those conversations directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, you know, not here necessarily to influence the kids to uh, follow my religious views, you know, but mm-hmm. it, it certainly informs how I, how I deal with the children day to day. And, you know, they all have emotional outbursts and, and whatnot because they're teenagers and we're all hor- hormonal here. So, <laughs> right. you know, everybody's <laughs> feeling some type of way every day. So, so it, if nothing else, it keeps you grounded in order to... <laughs> Help yeah, them. <laughs> I would say that that's pretty much the basis of where how my faith in, informs my teaching. You know, I, a lot of gentleness, um, you know, to be empathetic for their situations, because sometimes they come to you with problems and you're just thinking this is the most ridiculous thing. <laughs> but right. it's but, you know, it is their world. That is what they are just steeping in all day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of gentleness involved, a lot of patience mm-hmm. um, remarked often. You're so patient. Why are you not annoyed with us? 
why doesn't this bother you? Anybody else would be yelling by now. And I'm like, it's just, you know, you have to pick your battles. Is it really that important to yell about the kid who wants to go to the bathroom four times? Mm-hmm. You know, during work time, it's not that important. Sometimes they just need a break. Right. Um, so you pull from those fruits of the Holy Spirit, which is fruit. what us parents need to do also in grandparents. So that's mm-hmm. a good reminder. Well, we're going to specifically talk today about, you know, the gender identity and the transgender issues and, and the really, um, you know, deep things that the kids are struggling with and dealing with, whether it's within themselves or they have a friend. Are you finding um, those conversations going on in your classroom? Oh, all the time. These, those kinds of conversations are, um, I'm not going to say it's what they live for, but it's, it is prominent. Um, I had a kid the other day who had a a peace tea can that had the um, LGBTQ flag on it. And they just made this, you know, offhanded comment that you might, you know, miss, miss so-and-so, are you an ally? And it was an assumption that I am an ally, period. Like it, it wouldn't be any different uh, from what they believe. And so it's just a, it's a given for them in their minds. And this is across the board. I mean, there are very few that I would say don't think that way, at least in my classroom and with the kids that I deal with. Right. um, Right. From what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. And again, you've got teenagers, you're in a public school, you're in, in the South. So it is a common conversation. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, it's not something you guys bring up in school, but it's just something that they're talking about, they're dealing with, whether it's outside of school on social media or within each other. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. I would say it's a lot. They influence each other in person, but especially online, I think there's a couple different ways that that happens. So, you know, they all talk about their boy problems. You'll probably hear me referring a lot to the girls. Those are the typically the ones who are most affected by the idea of transgenderism. Okay. Um, Broad spectrum. I would say most of the kids in my class identify as something other than straight. But if we're talking about the kids who identify as trans, it's typically the girls. Okay. And that's what research is showing, right? That, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a, a cultural thing, kind of a, a way to fit in, so to speak. Is that yeah. what, what you're seeing? Exactly. I think that's exactly what it is. They're uncomfortable with something and it leads to them thinking, well, I must not need to be a girl. And it's such a, a widely pushed topic that for them and their surroundings, that's the obvious choice is that, well, I must not be a girl. You know, mm-hmm. I, I must need to be a boy. And uh, what wildly pushed is that by the peers, social media, the world? What, how do you see that happening? I see it broadly as social media and kind mm-hmm. of the world, the influence that they're seeing around them. You know, if everybody's a warrior who's transgender, everyone is you know, living their real truth. Mm -hmm. These kids think to themselves, well, I don't know what my real truth is. You know, I I think back to how I felt in middle school and there was just so much stuff that I was uncertain of. You know, all of my friends seemed to be so interested in boys. I had, I didn't want anything to do with them. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? They didn't interest me in that way, but a lot of these girls see social media and everything's very sexualized and it's, 
you know, you should be looking a certain way and you should feel a certain way towards boys. And I think that they just don't have that instinct yet. You know, it, it's just not there. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that developmentally, but they don't know that. Right. Yeah. So that's part of what we've been talking about in this series is how, how hypersexualized our children are these days. And so it's pushing them into thinking in these ways that they are not ready for developmentally, as you're saying. And Correct. so, yeah. And so it's funny because when I grew up, I was a tomboy. Well, now there's almost not even a category for that. I think if I grew up today, I would be labeled maybe as a trans um, possibly because, you know, it's like, you've got little categories to fit in and that possibly may be where I think I fit. Right. Right. I mean, I just, it makes me laugh when I think back to the stuff I wore in middle school, but I had a SpongeBob and Patrick t-shirt that I wore religiously and I would slick my hair back into a ponytail. You know what I mean? Like it was nothing about it was cute. And I was so uncomfortable with everything that I put on, but that was the only thing that made me feel like me. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of these girls, again, specifically, I'll talk about the girls because that's where I see the most of the transgenderism. Sure. Um, but if they don't feel like they fit that hypersexualized, like Barbie ideal, or mm-hmm. if they're not comfortable enough in their body to put on that type of clothing mm-hmm. or to wear the sundresses, you know, that cut low or hang really tight or whatever it is, um, you know, they, they feel uncomfortable and they feel like they shouldn't be a girl or maybe it's just, you know, I don't fit in here. So I need to find somewhere that I fit in. And I really like wearing t-shirts and baggy clothes. And I don't think I want boobs yet. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Yeah. So how do you handle that? Do you, um, give them any feedback, any, you know, guidance? Again, you're not there to, you know, put your opinions on them. But as a teacher, we know teachers have a lot of influence. So, right. I think the main thing is just trying to help them feel comfortable with who they were born as. Uh, And uh, this is a difficult way to phrase it, because I was going to say who they really are. But if we're talking about living our truth, then that's also kind of skewed. Right. But if, if I think about what my mom would say to me when I was kind of vulnerable in high school and middle school, it started as a joke. You know, my mom was like, oh, you're smart, you're beautiful, and you're talented, you know, and I would like ask for it in a joking way, even though I genuinely needed to hear her say it, but it mm-hmm. felt silly to ask for that. Mm-hmm. So it became a joke, but it didn't matter because when she said it, it I felt validated. Mm-hmm. And so that was called it. I would just say, mom, I'm having a bad day. Can you validate me? Mm-hmm. And she, yes, honey, you're smart. You're beautiful and you're talented. And we'd both giggle, but you know, it helped. Right. And I think about that and I, I try to do similar things in the classroom. If somebody seems like they're having a bad day or I'll just go around and pass out notes. You know, if I notice somebody feeling extra uncomfortable or what have you, you know how you can just look at kids and kind of recognize they don't seem to be having a great day. Right. Pass out cards that say something like, um, you are smart, kind, and interesting, you know, Mm -hmm. something that's not necessarily about their body, but about them. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm that they are worthy you know they're Mm -hmm. worthy of being who they are and who they were born as you don't have to change yourself Mm -hmm. so we all have that 
intrinsic need to be seen, known, loved, and accepted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that would be the validation. And really that's what teens are looking for is where do they fit? What is their value? What is their purpose? And so you can speak into that um, without sexualizing it is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. And, and, and not sexualize it. Right. And help them see a broader view of who they are. Um, and you know, so we're talking about character, we're talking about personality, you know, we're talking about traits that they have. Um, and that's, gosh, some of the tragedy I see is that we're just painting such a narrow scope for kids about themselves being just a sexualized being, which is, is so sad in right. my opinion. That's, I feel like that's, you know, a very large platform for LGBT. We're talking about what is your sexuality, but I mean, at 15, who has a sexuality? Like you don't have, hopefully you don't have a sex life. So it shouldn't really come into question. Right. Right. And gosh, again, I'm much older than you, but um, you know, gosh, yeah, just what we can talk about now freely uh, is mm-hmm. kind of shocking and stunning. It really, it really is. Because mm-hmm. I mean, when teenagers come into the classroom and they're like, "Yes, I am blank blank," I'm like, "How you don't even really know that yet?" You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So, does your school system have guidelines of how you deal with this? Are you guided as a teacher, or how do how does that? work in um, your school system? We do have a policy, um, but I, you know what, I feel led to go back just for a second. Sure. Thinking about the kids when they come in and they say something about, you know, I'm, I'm bi or I'm a lesbian or what have you. Um, I, I often wonder to myself, and this is just a, a questioning thought that I have, but do they, do, do they, not realize that good true friendships can also hold love it doesn't have to be in a sexualized manner so are we sexualizing the idea of love in totality Mm. that's something that crosses my mind and i guess food food for thought no that's a great point a great point because and if we're looking at it biblically there's so many intimate relationships of the same sex, biblically we look at, that are not sexualized. Um, So you can have those close, really um, intimate relationships without it being sexual. But we, again, in the broader sense of culture, we're not showing that. We're not, right. And so that's a great point. And as a teacher, as a, you know, parent that perhaps that's something we can hold out there for kids. Mm -hmm. Yes, but we can, we can move forward from that. It just was something, and I'm not even sure I have an answer to it. It's just something that, you know, crosses my mind when I look at some of these relationships that are same sex relationships, it's really just, they seem to be best friends, you know, Mm -hmm. and we seem to have lost the concept of what a real best friend is. Yes. So we've lost, we've lost nuance in relationships. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost more, you know, binary than it used to be. Not, and I'm not talking male, female. I'm talking about it's this or that, right? Right. So you're either straight or you're homosexual. You're either this or you're that instead of a lot of nuance in there um, and exploration of what that might look like. Yes. Non-sexually. 
Yes. Yes. Yes, But as, as far as the school policies and stuff they've set forth, um, when I first got here, there were not any real policies. I don't think anybody was quite prepared um, Mm -hmm. for the mass of name changing that was happening. Mm -hmm. And so for a little while, it was just, if the student came up to you and asked for them to be called something else, you it was kind of at the teacher's discretion, you know, like you either did it or you did not. Right. Um, but they, they ended up needing to implement a policy because it was becoming an issue where the kids would say, Hey, call me, you know, Mike or Sarah would come up to you and say, Hey, I want to be called Mike now. And, um, but don't tell my parents. Mm-hmm. And so you're feeding into this reality without any sort of parental consent, but The problem is if you're talking about a child thinking that they're transgender, that's a very, very important mental and emotional development that the parents need to be involved in. And adults in the school recognize that. Um, So the policy going forward was that we would send them to the counselor and the counselor would then have a full conversation with the student, help them decide if that was something they were ready to disclose to their parents And if it was, then they would contact the parents, double check that that was okay for us to call them that. And then they would put it in the system as a nickname. So Sarah's nickname might be Mike. So if I see Sarah come into class on the first day and I say, hey, is Sarah here? And she goes, hey, I'd like to be called Mike. I can see her nickname in the system is Mike. And I would then call her Mike. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I've before that before that policy was really in place, I, I had students changing names. I mean, once a month, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like this, call me this. Now I feel like this, call me that. And so mm-hmm. I, I did have one student where I pulled him into the hallway and I, as nicely as I could, had the conversation, like, I'm trying to learn 120 kids names and I want to make you happy and call you what you want to be called. But at the same time, I need some stability on my end. Mm. So would you like to be called this name that you've just given me? Or would you like to just go by your last name in case that name changes again? Mm-hmm. So they, they opted to go by their last name. And to this day, even though they have reverted back to their, um, I guess, given name, mm-hmm. I still often use the last name just because that's what we decided and agreed upon, you know, their freshman year. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a great example because you're respecting them. You're not trying to tell them what to do, but you're also saying, hey, I've got limits and boundaries also. <laughs> so right. can we can we work together, which is a really uh, just developmentally and knowing the mental um, uh, gymnastics that, that teams go through is a really great strategy. Um, because they will bulk against you if you're trying to tell them what to do. And yet they do need boundaries. They do need some healthy guidelines. So that's a beautiful example of that. And you're dealing with the issue without calling out the issue. Right, right. There was no more bouncing around from thing to thing. It was, we're going to pick something and it's going to be stable and this is what we're going to go with. And boy, you know, again, knowing human psychology, working with teens uh, like I have in the past, what, and I feel it in my soul when you say that it's like, okay, an anchor, like somebody's giving me an anchor. So I think what I want parents to hear in this is that kids need that. They need stability. They are desperately trying to find it with all these 
different names and pronouns and identities. And they desperately need some anchor and some healthy boundaries. So parents can be encouraged in that, in that way, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. They, they really want it. I mean, we have conversations all the time, you know, they're like, well, I don't know about this. I'm like, listen, you know that this is going to be the case. So you might as well just try it. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. You know, like, we'll just, we'll try again. Or, you know, this is stable. So while you attempt to figure out the rest of this, let's just hang on, you know, hang on to this. And when you finally come to a decision that you can live with, then we'll, you know, then we'll move from there. Hmm. Yeah. Do you have a concrete on that one? Like, what do you give them to hang on to as they're exploring? Uh, is the name is one example? You you know. Do you have any other examples of that? The name is one example, or I guess I I tend to teach the students how to struggle. I suppose mm. like they've lost this ability to to struggle with something. Mm, that's so good. That's mm-hmm. so good. That's cool. What oftentimes happens is if they don't get it the first try, they're not necessarily, I'm not going to say not willing to try a second time, but their first instinct is to come up to me and say, I can't get it. What do I do? Mm-hmm. I'm like, Just sit down and think about it. And mm-hmm. they're like, what do you mean? What do I do? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I'm not answering any more questions. Go sit down and work on it. And they're like, hmm. So, you know, when I first got my set of students, I had to teach them what it was to struggle. And so what we would do is, Um, And, you know, this is classroom assignments, but I would say, okay, guys, here's the skill. I'm relatively certain that all of you guys can do this without my interference. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can get to it of your own accord. So here's the material. Here's a very, very brief explanation of what I'd like to see. Now I'm going to let you struggle for the rest of the class period. And I would say struggle. I said struggle is good for you because later when I'm not here, you need to be able to do this without me. Or later when you've left me, I need you to know that you can figure something out on your own without somebody telling you exactly what to do. So you're going to struggle for today, I said, and then we'll recap the lesson tomorrow and I will show you how I would do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so- that's so good. Mm-hmm. That is such a good word because in our instant quick fix, let's feel no pain society, <laughs> yes. You know, it's a loss. And we call that in psychology resilience. You're you're building resilience in them. And all we all need that. And this is a this is a time frame where it's really important for kids to learn that um, and internalize that, right? You're you're giving right. them the locus of control, the way to internalize these skill sets. So that no matter what the issue is, whether it's gender identity or it's learning a new topic in school, that they can do that. That's, that is really cool. That's a great example. Yeah. It's just, it's a major skill that they lack. And I, you know, I feel for them because I, I don't have that problem. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I just know how to do, and it makes everything easier because I don't always have to run to someone else for help. Right. But again, we have to grow into that. That's just not right. something that comes naturally, um, maybe more natural to some people, but not naturally. Uh, so that is really awesome. So building their thinking skills. And that's, I think, a lot of what's lacking in some of these um, 
you know, gender identity issues is there's not critical thinking. And even on the parents' part, not critically thinking down the road for their kids, just kind of reacting out of fear or, you know, major concern and um, in a crisis, uh, trying to do the best you can. So yeah. mm-hmm. that I see that um, I, I see that in the schools from from other teachers, um, people who maybe have more support for uh, kids who identify as trans. Um, and I, I don't know how to say that, I suppose, correctly, but they they will they feel like they are doing the, the kid a service by changing their name every time they, or by calling them the new name every time the child, the child mm-hmm. comes to them mm-hmm. because they're worried about something like what if the child is depressed or what if they're suicidal, you know, like we need to support them so that they feel like we understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel for that, but at the same time, what are we teaching them from that you know we're not teaching them how to emotionally work through the issue or how to logically deal with something or how to talk through it with another person we're just letting their emotions flow and then validating every single emotion that comes across right so we we uh reinforcing that that feelings are our truth instead of uh feelings informing truth Yes. Uh, and exactly. yeah. And those are two, it's a t- two different things to look at, but yeah, feelings come and go. And, and again, biblically, we know that um, feelings are not a good gauge. And even psychologically, we know feelings are not a good gauge to make uh, major de- decisions on and they, cause they come and go and they fluctuate, especially when you're hormonal, as you've already mentioned about this age group. Yes. So have you had parents come to you uh, about their kids' struggles? Have you had to deal with parents much or is it mainly you're dealing with the kids? I have not dealt with any parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that if anybody was going to deal with the parents, the school system likes to make sure that it's the guidance counselors. Right. So, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I if anybody were to come to me about that, I might be able to have a quick conversation, but they would prefer that I defer that to the guidance counselors. But I haven't had anybody say anything to me, ask me any questions, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, that that typically stays between me and the students. And I don't say that as if I'm hiding something, but it's just everyday conversations that we have are just daily interactions. Right. Right. It's, they're almost casual conversations, yeah. really, in the classroom, it sounds like. Yes. Um, going back to that fear of the depression or the suicide, that kind of thing. Uh, we, I've talked about in another episode, the statistics on that, and, and they're really not a lot of statistics that say, you know, these kids are going to run out and, and uh, commit suicide. They may threaten it, Mm-hmm. Um, but the chances of them going through are, are for most, I'm not talking about all, but for most are very, uh, low chance. And so it, you know, we have time to not react in fear, but to sit back and, and kind of go through the process with them. Um, and as you're, as you're saying, teach them how to deal with the feelings and the struggle in a, mm-hmm. in a way that is healthy. That's right. right. Uh, I had a student the other day who I pulled into the hall. Um, just, she was 
off, you know, hadn't done any work, was very quiet, which was sort of abnormal for this student. She has highs and lows. Mm-hmm. And um, pulled her in the hallway and just kind of asked her what was going on. And, you know, she got kind of teary and we discussed her situation a little bit. And um, by the end of it, I just remember telling her, you know, we can, anytime you want to talk about these emotions, I was like, I am not by any means a counselor and I'm not here to solve your problems. But if you just need to tell it to somebody, you know, we can, we can talk about it and we can, you know, just kind of work through. I said, talking about it will probably help these feelings dissipate or at least help you work through them. So they're not on your mind all the time or, you know, and I think just that verbal communication of, Hey, I'm okay with hearing your big feelings, even if you think they're going to scare me. Mm-hmm. Like what do we do as adults? I mean, I have used some not known, not so nice words in my prayers sometimes with God, if I feel very, very strongly about something, you know, but I sometimes just need a, a safe place to yes. release that emotion. You know, sometimes you just got to let it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, truly believe it or something. I just, I feel it so strongly. I need someone to hear me say it. Mm-hmm. Um, and God is a safe place for that. And so I think that these kids lack a safe place where they can have these huge emotions that are kind of scary, especially to them mm-hmm. um, with, with somebody who will guide them through that big emotion. Yes. That is a great point. And it's not always going to be the parents, even if you have a great, good relationship you know, the nature of teenagehood is such that they may feel more comfortable talking to you, the teacher. So to have an adult who is grounded, especially Mm -hmm. in faith, that can be that safe place. I -hmm. like how you say that to help them wrestle with the scary feelings they may be having. And we do know, again, you know, it's, it's a scientific thing. It's a psychological thing. When things come out, from the dark to the light, they start changing. Mm -hmm. So just verbalizing it, letting it be witnessed, heard by somebody. And when we're not the parent, I can attest because I've been all the things, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, you know, parents, we're so emotionally invested, we're more likely to react than somebody like you, who's not as invested, who cares, but uh, um, is not quite as emotionally invested in in their lives. Right. Right. I think it, and it, I don't know, you know, teenagers just don't want to talk to mom and dad. I sometimes. know I, they just need their own little private, you know, places. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I knew growing up, my mom told me all the time. She was like, if you make a bad decision and go to a party and you're drunk, which I would never have done, but <laughs> she said it anyway. She was like, I'll come get you. And we won't, t- you know, yeah. With, we'll, we'll just, I just want you to be safe, you know? And I knew that I could call her if mm-hmm. I ever decided to do something that dumb. I didn't, but, um, I don't, I still don't think I would have called her. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I don't want her to be disappointed in me. And I didn't, I wouldn't have wanted her to know that I had done something that she had always raised me to know not to do. Right. Right. So what other tips do you have for us or whatever other things are on your heart when we're talking about this and helping our kids out? Um, I think technology is a a big sticking point. Um, Not to say that we should just, you know, rid them of technology, although sometimes I wish that it never existed, (laughs) Right. Um, specifically their phones, but they definitely 
don't need 100% free access to the internet, in, mm-hmm. in my opinion, because there's just too many resources. I mean, even I read stuff as an adult, and I'm like, oh, no way, that's true. And then I think to myself, hold up, hang on, you know, you're like, let's fact check this for a minute. Uh huh. Because any the joke is that anything on the internet's true, right? So, right. Um, but we we look at these kids, and we think they're so developed. But, you know, I had a student who was dating this guy and her parents found out and they took her phone for a month because something big happened. And in the process of that phone being gone and no, no communication with said boyfriend within two weeks, she was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I really like him anymore. You know, it, it really doesn't take very much removal before their emotions are completely gone for that person. Wow. So they're not getting that reinforcement or that, Right. Um, I think that goes to show, you know, how influenced they are and how, how they take things on such a whim. You know, she was convinced when I met her, convinced that she loved this boy. Mm This was the one. Then, you know, we went no communicado for a little while and, and that was it. Mm -hmm. You know, she she was on, on to the next boy, Mm -hmm. which is fine. I mean, I think that's definitely being a teenager, but it's just. Sure. And then her parents had the courage to set that boundary and Mm -hmm. to, to have that, um, that consequence, right. Which gave her time and space to think to, uh, and, and, um, without just so many distractions. So yeah, yeah, technology, it's a blessing and a curse. It, It it's, it's to be handled, um, with wisdom. And so parents can, have some boundaries around that is, is, do you know, are there um, safeguards for technology that you know of that could help? I actually, I do. Um, there's this program bark. It's very cool. Uh, it asks your child if they will, you know, allow access to all these things and it explains to the kid, they're not looking at your text messages. We're not watching anything, blah, blah. You know, it's, I'm not sending screenshots to your parents. I'll only notify them if something happens. Mm. And so you can set up all sorts of filters. You can set up sexual filters. You can set up bullying filters, suicidal filters, depression filters, like all sorts of very specific stuff. It's very cool. Wow. Um, the technology was invented just to, to help watch over teens as they're going through stuff. It'll monitor as far as text messages, social media, emails, like it'll monitor their entire quote unquote phone living space. Wow. So that's B-A-R-K? Yes. Bark. Okay. That's a great tip for parents. Yes. Sounds good. So it would have to be um, uh, applied with parental and the teen consent. Is that correct? Correct. Your, Your teen would know that it's happening, but I mean, it would just be a conversation. I feel like you know, I'm the adult and right happen, but I want you to know that it's for your well-being. Right. Yes. You know, and give them some choice uh, in the matter because they are, you are going to need their passwords. <laughs> you Got, know, gotcha. yeah. they are going to have to allow the access to it. So you don't want to go into this strong arming it unless you're looking for a fight. Well, in, I don't know. in general, in general with teens, that's the approach is teamwork. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, when I would uh, parent, do parenting things, there would be, we were talking about being a, um, a coach versus a consultant. 
And when they're younger, you're the coach, you're telling them what to do, where to go, how to, you know, and mm-hmm. then as they get older and, you know, that's a little bit different depending on your kid's development, you become a consultant. Um, so you're, so you're working together to try to solve the problem. And in that you're teaching them those critical skills of thinking things through, of making decisions, of, you know, looking at the whole picture and the impact and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a great tip. Thanks for that. Yes. Yeah. Any last thoughts or words you want to say before we close up? Um, I think the final thought is, a lot of the the transgender transgenderism changing i think that i've seen is sort of like their clark kent you know identity like they get to hide for a little bit mm. and the other thing is it's it's just cool you know it's cool to be different but the thing is different is now trendy so right transgender or being on the lgbt spectrum is trendy that mm-hmm. that is the thing do everybody's got some sort of opinion on their sexuality or gender identity Mm -hmm. um so i mean you're fight you're fighting against the trend on that one so again kind of look at it as a long game look at it as don't react as much maybe just know that this could be very well could be a developmental thing um have some healthy boundaries around it, but yet let them explore within those healthy boundaries. Is that what I'm hearing? I think so. I think that they're going to need room to make some mistakes, but just know that they can, you know, come back and have that discussion. But I mean, if they're going to hear all of this from friends, it'll more than likely cross their mind. Mm-hmm. You know? I don't think there's any getting away from it or creating a safe bubble necessarily. And we're just to, um, uh, clarify when we're talking about trans identity, we're just talking about Sarah that now wants to be called Mike and maybe dress in masculine clothes. We're not talking about any kind of medicalization or any kind of hormone treatment or any of that. No, mm-hmm. no, all of all of what I deal with, we haven't. None of us have gotten that far. Right, got it. Right. So I love how you said that it's like they're Clark Kent. It's a way of hiding out as they're trying to figure things out. That's a really kind of positive look at it. Yes. Yeah. Because I, I think that really is it. I mean, who would want to take shelter from middle school and high school? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Days. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. And I think it's tougher now to be a teen yeah. than any other time. And yet, yet, yeah. yet, yet. God is God, hope is hope, and um, there's a lot we can do to help our kids traverse these difficult waters if we don't, you know, react in fear, if we're helping them instill the the resilient skills, and uh, and we're loving them and seeing them and knowing them and giving them safe places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks so much, Elizabeth. This is really some really important information. You've given some great examples just for people to think about and and, um, hopefully it'll help parents and others um, to, uh, yeah, navigate these waters. So thank you for coming on. Yes, you're very welcome. I'm so happy. Yeah. Um, so I always uh, end in prayer and praying for the, the folks that we're talking about. Do you want to do that or you want me to do that? Yeah, I can do that. That'd be great. All right. Lord, we come to you today and we just pray over those who are struggling with their identity um, and Lord feeling lost and scared and maybe a little 
freaked out, you know, by these emotions that we're feeling. And God, I just pray that these students and anyone else who's struggling with these kinds of things would feel validated to be who they were born as, um, validated to be strong in the person that they think they might be. Um, and Lord, that maybe some of this nuance to relationships and bodies and the way we view ourselves might come back and, and become a little bit more talked about. Um, God, we just pray that you would be with those who are trying to encourage someone going through a hard time, um, that you would be with these parents as they navigate such new territory and, you know, new and different teenage problems every day. God, we just pray that you'd be there and, and be our guide. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thank you. All right, y'all. Well, thank you so much for um, tuning in. I hope you were encouraged, um, depending on where you live and when you're listening to this, you know, school situations are probably very different. I just wanted to give you one little glimpse of what it looks like from one teacher's point of view. But here is truth I'm going to leave you with that stands the test of time, and it's truth from the Word of God. And this is 2 Timothy um, chapter 3, and I'm reading from the message version. And this is excerpts from uh, verse 10 through verse 17. It says, unscrupulous conmen will continue to exploit the faith. They're as deceived as the people they lead astray. As long as they are out there, things can only get worse. But don't let it phase you. Stick with what you have learned and believed. Sure of the integrity of your teachers. Why you took in the sacred scriptures with your mother's milk. There's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Every part of scripture is God breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So y'all, I know there's a lot of darkness in the world and this series, we kind of focus on some of the heaviness, but here's the deal. We've always got to come back to the timeless truths of God's word and the power that it holds and rest our hearts there. And God has finished his work in the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus. So let's get hope from there. Let that be your anchor and meditate on his word for you and your children today and share that truth until um, next time where we're going to talk to a grandpa about instilling legacy of faith with his grandkids. Um, I pray that God blesses you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.